Welcome back to the Whiteness in America podcast. This is episode number six, which we are entitling Yugaidi, which is the Kiswahili word for terrorism. In this week's episode, Erica and I are joined by the amazing and delightful and talented and brilliant Dr. Joyce Peart. Hey, I am Joyce Peart. I'm known as Dr. P in the community, and uh, I'm a lecturer. I teach in the education department, um, pre-service teachers, how to be teachers, actually. Um, but but more specifically, I guess I'm sort of focused on mathematics right now and, and uh, playing in math and teaching teachers, elementary ed teachers, how to um, play in mathematics. Um, but that's what I do. I'm a community activist, living the, uh, I'm from Flint. I currently don't live in Flint, but I'm from Flint, or have been a resident for the majority of, resident for the majority of my life. In this episode, we talk about Dr. P's challenge to the word white supremacy and many, many other fascinating topics. Really fascinating and great discussion. Before we get into the conversation, I want to say thank you to everybody who is continuing to uh, stick with us through this journey and who has joined lately. We are celebrating our one-year anniversary. As some of you may know, the whitenessinamerica.com website debuted on July 1st of 2018, and we had our very first episode of Whiteness in America podcast on July 12th, 2018. So we only had five episodes in the first year, but I think every episode continued to evolve and grow, and we can want to continue to do that and provide really great, thoughtful, thought-provoking content as we move forward into year two. I'm really excited to have Erica as part of this process and on this team moving forward, and I really I think year two is going to bring some big things for us. So without further ado, um, let's head into the, as we called it today, the Whiteness in America studios and our conversation with Dr. Joyce Peart. <laughs> So hi there. Hi, how are you? <laughs> what is that? How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Yeah, yeah. We're in the studio today. <laughs> Any place is a studio, right? right yes. yes. This is the home yeah, studio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So how are y'all doing? I'm great. And to all the listeners, Tim is up in here. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom, Tom, Tom is up in here with these red shoes on and a red t-shirt looking very suave. With a shirt that said, America needs public schools. Yeah. 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 I got it for my uh, graduation. A friend of mine brought it to me for my my little doctorate thing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Public schools are interesting, right? Yeah. And not good and good all at once. I mean, the dream is good, but the, the dream reality is, good, right? is like a mess. Yeah. No, I think it needs to be deconstructed as to why are we doing public schools anyway, and can children learn in other ways, and what is the real purpose behind public schools, a collective? Well, the co-opted purpose, because I heard Angela Davis told us that during Reconstruction, it was the African Americans who were elected into um, Congress that proposed the idea of universal public schools, mm-hmm. but then, of course, they got co-opted after, you know. White people ruin everything. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, I ain't say it. <laughs> I, was, I was over here like, no comment. <laughs> I ain't say that. We're like, oh, that's a really great idea. Let's, let's, let's do this and make it worse. And then it's like Taco Bell, right? Like, we're going to take really great cuisine and then just make it terrible. Right. And then indigestible. Right, right. Well, I, but it's like... For for egocentrist, it's always about how can I best utilize this for me, right? Mm-hmm. Ooh, this might really be good for liberating society. Oh shit! Oh me! Oh shoot! Let me make sure that I can find some benefit in this. It's like it's even like music, hip hop music, right? 
And so, you know, it was being used as a, as a means of expression for young, radical, revolutionary African-Americans. And then the industry got involved. Mm. Um, and, and who are now, you know, monopolizing. And you can't do music unless the industry approve of how you do music. And now the music is about destroying and denigrating communities because when women become bitches and hoes, then that, that's... And, and and twerkers and I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but when that's all the children are seeing, right? So the two year old is calling you a bitch and you wondering what what? And it's like that's vernacular now, right? That's in the right. music. Right. And so yeah, I think that um there opportun well, the opportunists who always see a way of you utilizing, you know, what's being what's done, what can essentially be beautiful or other people's way of speaking and take that and use it for their own benefit. That's totally the American way though, right? Like everything, there's no, like we even like commodify our own bodies. Yeah. Like we're not even allowed to just be, we have to be a brand. You know, when right. I was at University of Illinois, they sent an email around saying, okay, we're gonna protect the university brand, but you also should start thinking of yourself <laughs> as a brand. What right. is your brand? And they were actively teaching the students to brand themselves. Right. We do that all the time. All the time. Yeah. And I'm like, so we've got this language of commodification of bodies. I mean, we can go back to commodification of bodies in the, in the transatlantic slave trade, right? right? And we know what that looks like oh, yeah. and what it means. So for us to so casually today be in a position to brand ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny that you bring it up. I was having this conversation with Christina. Uh, Christina's my wife this morning. And we were talking and I was like, thank you. Because for a long time I never put product in my hair, never did anything, never really cared. Like, I didn't use stuff in my beard. I just let it go. And then I started getting like, I have really dry skin, so I flake and stuff. And I was like, thank you for investing in your own stuff. So I felt, and I used the term liberated to purchase whatever I needed. And I was like, well, or am I feeling... I colonized to keep awake and I had this like internal struggle that I was having this conversation with her this morning she's like this is a little deep for 630 <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like yeah I know like I literally just woke up my eyes just opened right. we doing this kids now? are screaming in the we background and yeah. <laughs> are we doing yeah. this right now yeah. <laughs> I, I just want you to know Tom that's probably what I would do you know I've had people be like can I just have a moment here <laughs> I just have a moment. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah These yeah. things get our heads going. You know, I find myself walking around and just getting in the car, going to the store, or just being out in society, finding myself frustrated because the signals that are being sent to me about who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing are very heavy. Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, is there a place in North American society where people are allowed to just be without product, without being, you know, like, okay, am I being productive enough in this moment? Is this thing I'm doing, can it be commodified and, and turned into something useful? Like, what counts as useful? Who are the useful people? And it's all tied to productivity. And, you know, I'm just, like, really relishing in being able to sit this summer on my porch and, like, just do nothing. Listen to the birds, you know, watch my garden grow. And just kind of think, is there, like, a different way of being? And I don't know if our society is giving us that yet. Yeah, and I think that's a really good opportunity. I think we have an opportunity to talk about that in depth at some point, too, because I think the interconnectedness between capitalism and racism and, 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 and institutional white supremacy are very over overlapped and yeah. intertwined, right? And so it's part of this program think space that we have about individual success is related to how hard you work, right? right? And so it's a myth, right. even though I think there are 
are an anecdotes and outliers where it proves that myth to be factual, mm -hmm. but it's a myth. Those who work hard are successful. Right. That's not always true. If there's opportunity yes. potentially for that the most happen, horrifying thing I just saw on the internet um, a couple weeks ago. There's a, a person I follow on Instagram. Got like thousands and thousands of followers. A bodybuilder, and they put this quote like it was a motivational quote, <laughs> and they're they're Christian conservative um, person, and the quote was something like. Um, if you work hard, you'll do well, and, and, and those who don't, those who are lazy will become slaves. And wow. people, when the people respond, and it was a, it's a quote from the Bible, and right. I don't know if I'm quoting it exactly right, but those who work hard, you know, God blesses those who work hard and those who don't become slaves. And the people were like, you're really going to put up a quote about slaves and not like yeah. understand how offensive that could be? Well, it's in the Bible, and I don't know why people get so offended by that. But it got me really thinking about this interconnection between whiteness, Christianity, and this idea of the moral authority of productivity, productivity, working, 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 right. working, and then on the other hand, the justification of enslavement of people, yeah. or just, okay, they're slaves because they were lazy, right. or those poor people who are standing on the corner, you know, if they're, you know, begging for money or whatever, or just destitute, well, that's their moral, that's a kind of a moral right. stance that we take towards those people, like, ugh. It's their fault, right. <laughs> right? And and it's connected to religion, race, and this whole like sense of um, value system that we have in this country. Yeah. Scary. It is scary. But this person posted it, and and of the thousands of followers, three or four were like, "Are you crazy?" And then you saw the piling on of all the white followers who were like, "Oh, you people are too sensitive. I don't know why you have to see race and everything. That's not what they're saying on this post." Speaking of you people, God rest Ross Perot. Um, that's a dangerous thing for white folks to say, right? You people are sensitive, right? We're using this thing word, you people in general. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's yeah. fascinating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, so, I, I'm. There's a lot been going on. I don't know if you all have read the the news today. Just just today, right? So you have the U.S. government is planning on finally doing finally doing the raids that they've been promising for like the last weeks, and that's imminent, I guess. Um, I'm sorry, what rates? The immigration rates, the oh, undocumented okay. folks. Trump, in a conversation yesterday, referred to, with I think it was with Mexican leadership, referred to folks that are undocumented as animals. Right. So back to this language usage again, right, which has a horrible history in this country and other countries, particularly about people of color being referenced as animals. Um, and then on some other areas, an activist was on social media, or not on social media, on a dating website, and basically said I wouldn't date white men, and then white men are getting all fragile about that, right? Because um, you know, woman of color saying I don't want to date white men, people are coming to support her, and they're vilifying those folks. So you have white folks, white men in particular, you know, who are claiming all these sorts of things about why we're great humans to date. I wouldn't date a white guy. <laughs> like I'm surprised I'm in a. Re like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just. It's fascinating. We are full of, you talked about trauma earlier before we started recording, and like we just create trauma regularly. I'm surprised the two of you are willing to sit in a room with me well, you know we had to, to have these conversations. We had to watch you first now, you know, we had to check you out. I know. So I don't even know where to start, like, and I'm glad we kind of just jumped into some yeah. broad topics, but like. Well, don't forget the aerial controversy. Oh, yeah, Ooh, the aerial controversy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and there's really great pieces coming up about Mamiwata, the black. Um, deity, which is a mermaid sea oh. goddess oh, deity, right. um, Yamanja, which is a um, Arisha that people worship in Santeria, yeah. and um, um. 
other Yemen, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the ocean mm-hmm. is is um, a goddess of the water, right? As well, and so this kind of question of well, you know. Mermaids can't be black because you're under the sea and they don't have mel- they don't need melanin because there's no sunlight and people are like are you serious we we doing this now we're really doing this did you see our own very good friend Dr David Luke was on the news about this no. I didn't I, I yeah, saw yeah so I watched he it. he um he brought some comments and he was like uh, no mermaids don't really exist so they're not real um, and I don't think that actually made the news news article quote but I think it was something he said and so you know I think that's the funny thing is. We're just get, we white folks are getting upset about things that just are silly, and then the response is, um, I saw one person say, "Well, what if, who was it? Oh, Mulan was a white character. Well, that doesn't make sense because right. historically and purposely, Mulan is Chinese, right? right. Because it, the whole story is about the culture, so making Mulan white would only be what we've done in the past anyway, and made." Folks of color, white, well, in, last in samurai, yeah, Tom right. 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 So in the in the fifties, that was the norm that Europeans played Asian folk. You you mm-hmm. didn't even see Asian movies without the lead character being a made up European. Mm-hmm. That was no. See, to my challenge is that's normalcy, right? What's right. and I I really am challenged with the word white supremacy. Because I think it's positionality. It's like, if remember, if I can control the language and I can convince you to use a language, like, I, li- I really like white fragility. Although some people don't like it because it, it, it has this weakness to it, right? Mm-hmm. White supremacy has this strength. Mm-hmm. So if white supremacy can, com- you can convince me that when I talk about terrorism, that I talk about it from a white supremacy standpoint, then I'm literally standing in your your space, right. having this conversation. I might as well be a Native American talking about manifest destiny, right? Like you you came in and you right. you terrorized and you colonized and you took my land, but I'm talking about well, I'm 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 mimicking you, saying well, it's manifest destiny. No, white supremacy is is like diversity. And inclusion. <laughs> These are terms that Europeans use to make themselves feel good. And we, in our foolishness and non-thinking, are constantly adopting this language because it's out there. And we're using it against ourselves. We literally are giving power to white supremacy by using the word. Right? It's terrorization. I wouldn't look up a Kiswahili word for terrorizing. And I'm, I, I, I can't remember. It's, uh, it's Kiguani. Is a word I said I'm gonna adopt that because one is in my language, it's in it's in a language that is not English, mm-hmm. it has a different power, and that I can infuse that language on there. Um there was a there's a um Marimba Ani, she wrote a book, Yurugu, and it and it speaks about um Western culture, West Western thought and behavior. She did this twenty year study of Western culture and she speaks to it in the language she used is always in Kiswahili. So when she refers to Western thought is Utama Wazo or Utama Roho for um, the spirit. And I think that that's what we need to do. So I'm, I'm just bringing it up to say I think we really need to if we're really going to to use the language in a way that empowers then we need to stop empowering empowering the colonized or empowering the people who have been othered, then we need to think deeply about white supremacy is 
it it actually has a very glorifying mm-hmm. well, it way also, of it's talking sen- about it can center white whiteness. Theory. I mean, yeah. we, we need to. Right. I think it's so important for white people to deal with white folks and this concept of whiteness. They right. must, in their community, wrestle with whiteness. Wait, we have a community. Well, <laughs> yes, you do. That's what it is. Right? <laughs> well, as Tanahisi right. says, the people who believe themselves to be white. Right. Right. So all those folks. It excludes them other folks. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not convenient for us to be white. And then we're like, oh, we're Irish. Yeah, right. Nah, whatever. man. Yeah. It's too late. You can yeah. believe themselves to be white and live as if they're white. And might even include some brown folks who believe themselves to be white, too. But, or agents of whiteness. But what it's, it's interesting because, you know, even this podcast space is to deconstruct whiteness. But maybe we have to think about how do we center blackness? Mm-hmm. How do we center Otherness. other experiences right. and like on humanity? Just right. look, I'm 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 tired of playing the race game. Can we just acknowledge that we're humans and somehow mm-hmm. find that that space to engage in? I think we can, but I think the challenge behind that is that what you'll what you'll end up seeing is the dominant narrative folks like myself will take that and say, oh, okay, so we're all humans now. Right. We can forget about race. Right. I did. It's it's back to the conversation we had last time, too. I wasn't a part of what Mitch, what Mitch McConnell said, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't own slaves. Right. Therefore, yeah, we're all humans now. We don't need to think about this. And so it's kind of that neoliberal post-racial yeah. viewpoint. And I don't, I don't think we're ready for that. But I do agree, like, at some point we have to think about the humans, the humanizing structure and how we do that. But I think there needs to be work within the white community about mm-hmm. deconstructing our own issues. Right. And I really like what you brought up about kind of flipping the script on the concept and the construct of white supremacy and almost making it a subordinate thing, mm-hmm. which is really what it is, because it's an act out of fragility, it's an act out of right. fear, it's an act out of loss, it's an act out of um, trying to exert dominance where dominance ought not exist. False, um, and, and it inverts yeah. everything. Right, yeah. The, the challenge of, of, of this uh, terrorism is that um, when it begins, it, it sits in a position of um, power in, to the point that it controls the language. So it will invert everything. So it tells you that meritocracy is what you arrive in that space because of meritocracy and anybody else that shows up the other is affirmative action. Well, actually... <laughs> You've had affirmative action, right. and I've arrived because of meritocracy, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not the way the story is told. So when you look at me in order to uphold your belief that I'm inferior, less than you, then you you'll say, "Well, you get you're not supposed to be here. You were given, you know, uh, what is that uh, leg ups mm-hmm. or, or affirmative action, or you were given anyway um, all these added embellishments to get you mm-hmm. so you can arrive here." And I wasn't, right? But all your wealth, right, mm-hmm. has been given to you. Everything in the system is set up for your affirmative action. Right. It's affirmative action. America is affirmative action for Europeans. Just right. pure and simple. Like, you want me to tell you what? Can I Can I just... Please do. Oh, you're reading Robin DiAngelo's book. Yes, oh, I'm okay. reading Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility. But she has some stats in here that I just think are worth talking about. When she talks about who controls our institutions... Ten richest Americans, 100% white, seven of whom are among the ten richest in the world. The U.S. Congress is 90% white. U.S. governors, 96% white. Top military advisors, 100% white. President and vice president, 100% white. 
U.S. House Freedom Caucus, 99% white. Current U.S. Presidential Cabinet, 91% white. People who decide which TV shows we see, 93% white. People who decide which books we read, 90% white. People who decide which news is covered, 85% white. People who decide which music is produced, 95% white. People who directed the 100 top grossing films of all time, worldwide, 95% white. Teachers, 82% white. Full-time college professors, 84% white. Owners of men's professional football teams, 97% white. Mm. <laughs> that makes my blood pressure go up. Because it's, yeah. it's, that's the stark reality. And then so for me, the frustration is being in one of those institutions that we're in. And we say right. we need to, I was just having this conversation a couple weeks ago about how our leaders are so tired of talking about race. And even the, this person I was talking to kind of was agreeing, like, you know, well, Erica, you know, you have this kind of radical vision of the institution <laughs> and the world. And I just, I have come to believe that it's impossible for it to happen because white people are never going to give up their power. So, you know, why are you, why are you work yourself up about this? Why don't you just, you know, take a different approach? Why don't you talk about less controversial stuff and just go do stuff to make yourself happy? Why are you struggling so hard against a system that is clearly... That's a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, and there was some more. There's some more. Wow. You know, talk about therapy. This is my weekly therapy. I'm trying to unpack this. And it was just like, but you get these statistics, right? And it's like, we shouldn't be working against this. Mm -hmm. I'm working. My, so it's clearly, it's just me working myself up. It's not that those those statistics aren't real. No, this is America in a post-racial society. Right. But I'm working myself up. And the, here, and the right. solution was, the solution was, why can't you be like this other person, this other black person we know, who doesn't get themselves worked up, who's able to move up the system, and it's not as worked up as you are, and it's not as sick as you are, and it's not as frustrated as you are. You're just making yourself just a mess. Mm. And I'm like, and I hear these statistics, and I right. tell you, my blood pressure goes up again. Right. That's <laughs> why I brought the book, because you know? I was reading it, and I was like, and I, why do I vote? <laughs> like, right. I vote why? Right. Like, what, like, are we, what are we doing? We're there? in 2019. Right. And and we this system has not, the machine has not shifted. Well, and even if you think about, if you, you take the statistics and then you look at the, the, talking about voting, the political organization that is supposed to be a represent, representation of progressive thought, right? So we'll think of the Democratic Party as the larger organization that might do that. But the, <laughs> but the Democratic Party has a whiteness problem, yes. right? So when you look at Joe Biden and the things that he's said yes. and then backtracked and then said, I mean, he stands up for... You know, if Trump is the extreme version of whiteness, Joe Biden is the everyday whiteness that That's happens right. in America, right? Right. You have Elizabeth Warren co-opting and, and claiming mm -hmm. to be a Native particular America. identity mm -hmm. to score points, right. right? You have Pete Buttigieg, mm -hmm. who is dealing with his own issues in yeah. the city, and yeah. he's mm -hmm. doing it from a perspective from political navigation, but he's not really engaging mm -hmm. with the community from a community That's perspective. Right. right. So you have all of these things going on in a party that's supposed to be progressive, mm -hmm. that's trying to... I'll use the language, court mm -hmm. folks of color, and they all are becoming centrist on the issue of race. Well, becoming right. have always been. Right, and, how, right. Right? and, then, and then you. T I saw what you posted about Kamala Harris, Senator yeah. Harris, right? So how do you have someone who is ideally, ideologically progressive but has held up institutions That's even right. of her, you know, that she was a part of right. that have been historically and present day harmful um, that are terrorizing right. communities of color, right? Well, it raises this question. We look at the statistics of how the whole structure of our society is just 
reaffirming whiteness and it's, right. it's entrenched. We can't seem to shake it. And so talking to this friend, like, you know, why are you getting yourself worked up? You should go calm down and do some fun stuff. I started to think, or this person wanted me to take up a leadership position in the institution. And I said, <laughs> if I take up a leadership position, do I become the Kamala Harris that is running a machine that is designed against my people? Yeah. And I keep coming back to this place of, are we, isn't it time for us to say later for all this bullshit? Right, and to kick all of this down and to do something different. So we, Joyce and I started this with like doing new, new evolution educational right. centers, meant to be an alternative educational space yes. that centered black and brown, black people actually, right. um, but black and brown people, working class people, and just really shifting the paradigm of education. Right. It's interesting though, for us, even in that journey, we encountered the effects of whiteness as right. we worked through the nonprofit machine. Right. But it was our way of saying, okay, this space that we've been working in is not going to be it. Right. Let's move into this right. new space and create right. something different. Right. I still have a hope for that. I just, well, once we got out there and found out that, you know, it, systems are set up to control mm. black and brown people. And what, you know, like, if I give you the money, I'm going to control mm. the outcome. And mm. so, you know, people, people, it's, it's, so, it's such a, a plantation mm. model People are saying, well, just do it anyway and get the money. You can you can be subversive. Mm -hmm. You know, give them what they want and just be subversive. And and so all all your your total integrity, first of all, why would I want the European to pay for the liberation? They've never been willing to do that. That mm -hmm. that's one thing I'm very clear on is that one, you're not gonna have two nations. You're not gonna have a nation within a nation. And if you do, the one's gonna be colonized. We're living in occupation. It's not so and the other thing is I've enslaved you. I'm not going to educate you for liberation. I didn't give you an education when you were enslaved. Right. Now that I'm I'm now supporting an education, I'm not going to allow you an education that will liberate you. I'm not going to allow you to create economic institutions that will liberate your community. I will bomb you. I will put highways down through your <laughs> economic centers. I need you. I'm dependent on you. Mm -hmm. And I would, this is, uh, this is seriously a domestic violence <laughs> mm. situation. This is the man who won't let his woman go because he tells her, I love you. I'm beating the crap out of you. But and I know the best thing for you is because I can't give you. We're asking the European to give us something they have no ability to do. You have West Western culture. This Western culture has no moral integrity. You can't enslave. We pretend we do, though. Right, but that's delusion. You are right. a deluded group of people. Well, we've also internalized right? It, right? We, I've been with you. Because right. <laughs> you know? so now, now we become the agents of it. Right. Because we, we go, well, you have to go you, And I'm educated. being educated by, by right. mm -hmm. in a system right. that has told me that I'm inferior. I talk right. about my trauma. Somebody, I was talking to um, a professor here who was saying, you sound like you always trying to prove mm. yourself. Mm. And I said, bro, I grew up in America. I said, do you understand my trauma? From the time I was a child, I was told I was inferior. My mama said, you got to be twice as good. That's that's not encouraging words. That's like, well, what's wrong with me? And they're so powerful, right? They're so supreme. My my mother is reinforcing this lie that I've got to be twice as good. So I hit the ground running. Right. I'm running all the time. If there's somebody in that class, if there's a white kid in the class with an A, Oh, 
they become my competition, right? I became an electrician in a field that there were no women. I was the only woman, the only African-American, and I went through hell with European-American men. Always trying, in a constant state of trying to prove that I was a good, as good electrician as they were. In fact, I wound up being one of the best. They talk about me now, but I to get there was a constant proving. Now, in this realm, I come here, I got books, I'm published, I've done all the things they said to do, and I'm still in a state of proving. Do you know? And I said, well, damn, I thought, I thought God hated me, right? I'm born with skin that people do not, the people who supposedly are the people we are emulating, trying to be, right. don't like us, right? Don't want to be around us. We move in, they move out. We go to, They don't even want us in school. They lynch us. They chase us. What is wrong with black people that mobs of white men and white women will yell and scream and cuss at a child for entering into a school? That's insanity. It's insane. They fear our power. They fear the. It's insane. It's insane that you will you will bomb a community, and just now I don't think they got reparations. Or I think there's someone who's now fighting in court to get reparations for that for uh, descendants Mm -hmm. of people in that community. They bomb. We don't talk about the bombing. We don't. The little children in school are not learning about the bombing of Oklahoma. Then they're not. They're not learning about Roswell. They're not learning about this massive murder, right? Massacre. We can talk about the Holocaust, but we do not talk about the sins of America. We do not talk about how we mad. You can. You there's um exhibit in about uh, the riot in Detroit mm-hmm. during the twenties. I think it was twenties, and they're like. Hundreds of thousands of white men, and there's this one lone black man trying to walk across the street, and they're beating the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I'm looking at that, and somebody captured it. And I'm like, how did, what is that? What is that? That's evil. Yeah. But and it's I, also I the ability to control this narrative, right? Because we talk about terrorism, and we always put terrorism as having a brown face. And I keep saying, you know, we know statistically that white men in our country are some of the most dangerous people in terms of the mass shootings that happen, who gets killed, who owns the weapons, and who does the killing. It tends to be statistically white men. But we can never say that. It's right. never something that we can say because, oh, you're being racist or you're being divisive or you're... Because there's something about whiteness that is able to allow white people to mask these atrocities, to to cover them they up and teach. make them make them just like well we hide it happened but you know we're not it's not something that's inherent to our culture well, it's not something that's inherent to the social structures that white people have created right yeah well and it's also a part of uh, back to the individualism you know mm-hmm. so like again we we we've created a society where as white folks you can walk around as an individual mm-hmm. but as a person of color you're a part of that community always right, right? so right. you're always connected to that because it's it's been um, Minoritized, marginalized, been uh, made. Uh, it's it's been uh, not, whiteness has been normalized in mm-hmm. a sense where we can be individuals, right. and you all can't, right. right? And so I think that that's it. It's it's that ability to create a disconnect from that. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you see the same thing happening with um, religion, right? So you see folks that are often doing this are often also ideologically Christian, mm-hmm. but it's not the Christian church that's right. getting. <laughs> hit for this it's right. the individuals it's mental right. health and which is part of it I'm sure mental health has something to do with it but I you talk about 
um, insanity, insanity is a mental health issue, right? right? Yeah. And so if this is a thing of mental health, that's a really interesting well, no, it is mental health. Too, right? There's, a, there's right? a mental health component, but I think it's also a cultural machine. But but that's creating that that mindset so that you can live in that mental space and never have any discord about it. But that's the social contract, yeah. right? It, but it is meant, to, and, and we don't talk about we talk about the pathology of black and brown communities. And we need to talk right. about the pathology of whiteness, but right. we don't talk we about don't. the yes. pathology, and, and it is more evident. And, and, and we put different language on it, right? Mm-hmm. That you can shoot down, police can be shoot down mm-hmm. a husband and a wife in a car, right? And, and get off, be acquitted. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and the judge and the jury acquit them. Mm-hmm. Clear evidence that they were wrong, but there's something about, listen, if you can lynch black men and take pictures and make, make postcards and send that around the country and you cutting off and castrating, you know this, body parts like they're animals? Yeah. yeah. Tell me that's not, we, look, when, when Jeffrey Dahmer was eating folk, they locked him up, right? Because that, that was a mental yeah. illness, right? Right, right? Yeah. How is it that we, don't, we can recognize that in one, but we can't recognize that as, as a country? Yeah. Right. And, and, and here's, the, here's the kicker, and I'm up. Is Donald Trump is sitting in a position of representing America to the world, and black and and Europeans, European Americans in this country do not have problem. I'm not talking about one or two of y'all. I'm talking about the one as a mass uh, to to say we don't want. We are not willing to allow this to rep- to be who we are, right. unless of course it's who you are. How many women? We got fourteen women now that's showing up saying Donald Trump sexually. Um, twenty-two. Mm-hmm. Twenty-two. Number. Right? Mm-hmm. right. And he he's still in office. Somebody help me. But are we surprised? I think no. Some... I, it's not that. It's right. morality. Right. Where do I take my child? Who am, do I say? White America. Who are you using as the role model for your child? Because that's the leader of your country. Right. But like I said, are we surprised? I mean, it's Trump is an interesting character because I think in this so-called post-racial society, he's actually the reminder of, to us that all of that's bullshit <laughs> and that we're not past racism, we're not past sexism, we're we're not in a progressive era that we thought we were in, and most people were awakened awakened to that, and so. But I guess the question is, were presidents before him any less despicable, right? No. And and we have, I think what Trump has done for us is shaken us off of this mythology of who we were. Right. It's not that white, white people have always voted for and supported men who have engaged in terrorism against black people, who's engaged in terrorism against women. Like that's part, like you're looking at our presidential history, you'll find right. many, yeah, many, straight, many examples of this. <laughs> right, yeah. right. And so, th- but this is the question for us. We're shocked today because we, we believe ourselves to be outside of that era. And what Trump is actually doing is reminding us that we're not, and also letting us know that the white people around us are also not. Even the, even the most liberal amongst us who switched and became Republicans were like, yeah, I just couldn't vote for that woman. I'm going to go vote for Trump. I was sitting at the um, at the uh, mechanic the other day, and you know, it's a multiracial space, 
and the white people were going on about how, well, you know, I had to go give it up for Trump because he had his own money, and I just had to vote for him. And they were saying these things in, in a room full of black people, and we were looking like, <laughs> you're, you're really saying this? And, and all the white people were nodding, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, that's right, that's right. And, and just to feel the disconnect that you've, you've actively gone out and picked this white supremacist person who's campaigned against my, my existence and the existence of people like me. But you're okay yeah. with it. Yeah. And it just reminded us that, okay, this is not very different from that age of standing at a lynch mob and having a Sunday picnic <laughs> under the lynching tree, right? right? Like, is it, are, we the far, are we that far removed from that reality? We're going to take a quick break. We'll return back to our conversation in just one moment. Future Fest. This is a youth fest that's taking place in Detroit. Um, the dates are August 3rd and August 4th, and we think that this is a great event for us to support. So we wanted to tell you a little bit about it, but also give you some background to some of the controversy that Afrofuture Fest is going through. So Afrofuture Fest on their Eventbrite website um, argued that they are providing a two-tiered ticket system, and they say, why do we have POC, people of color, and non-POC, white people, tickets? And here they're talking about equality and equity. So equality means treating everyone the same. Equity means ensuring everyone has what they need to be successful. And essentially they have this two-tiered ticket structure where white people pay a little bit more for these tickets so that they can make sure that people of color in the city of Detroit have access to public events like this. So they wanted to make sure that black people can afford to go to such a celebration in their own city. So for white folks that pretend to be about equity, this is a good opportunity for you actually to do something in action. And even if you're not able to go, you can donate, mm-hmm. you can provide some support for this really great opportunity, this really great cause, uh, which is happening. Third through the Yeah. So if you can, check out the Afro Future Fest um, ticket system on Eventbrite um, and make sure that you support this wonderful cause. And now back to our discussion. bubble up in the liberal community, the liberal white community too, is the concept of fragility, right? Mm. So you have white liberals that are coming out of the woodworks that cried on election day. Like, I can't believe this is who we've become, right? And you have folks standing <laughs> there become. being like, this, this is who we've been we've for been. We've been 100 plus years right. and now you're just starting we're to see it, it, right? And and so I think that that's part of this mythology that we've created and, mm. and it's no different. It's just now it's very openly and very, active on display right. in a way that it hasn't been as public or as consumable by dominant white media culture as it's been in the past, right? Because in the past, white people have been allowed to, so the same colleague who's been telling me, you're just making it, you're just working yourself up. Why are you working yourself up? This person is also one of the people who cried on election night. Right. Right? And it was kind of like, we want to go back to that world where we could pretend like none of this was real. Right. And we had a course, black man in the White House. Yeah. And we I are post-racial and good. It was so crazy is when I got to U of M Flint in 2011, you know, Trayvon Martin, I think, had just been murdered. Right. And then, you know, his murderer had been acquitted. And then, okay, Tamir Rice. And then, you right. know, we, we go down the line, right? And I, my soul is dying, right? And that's right. two or three years before Trump. <laughs> and so I'm like, but you, you were oblivious to all that pain. Right. And we were living in this post-racial, mm-hmm. progressive era. And you could go back to your suburb and you could live your life of right. everything is going in a positive direction. And now <laughs> you've awoken to it. 
being not what it is, but the solution to, for you is not that we fix it, because this person said, I don't believe it's possible to change white people, I don't believe it's possible to change society, so I'm just gonna be about activities and things that make my heart happy. Okay, right, we need space and we need to do those things outside of this work that re renew and refresh us, but we have to come back to the work. This person's solution was no, we don't, we don't kill ourselves doing this work because it's impossible to change this reality. When I, again, retreat back to those myths because the myths were more comfortable. You could live your life um, in a way that without discord, right? Yeah. And that's being sold to me as the solution. Like, what I have to fix myself. I have to fix my attitude towards the situation rather than fix the situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. I um. So that's something I've been looking at as well in terms of you know if if I could say I've been in the fight. Um, I became aware. Something was wrong with me when I was seven. When I was 12, I became a black Muslim. And as a black Muslim, white people were devils. So that was just... And so I began this this journey of liberating my people. You know, and we, we started schools. And, and so I was a black nationalist. Like I said, I didn't even know it. I didn't even have a term for it. Um, but I was well aware. I came up at it. I mean, just if you live in a... a black household, you are aware of, I was aware because we were having the civil rights, I was during the time of the civil rights era, so I was aware of the struggle, and the riots were happening in Detroit, and I was aware, and they were happening here in, in Flint as well, so I was aware of all of that, and I, I've always been on this mission, my purpose has always been undergirded in this, this belief of liberating my people, everything that I've done has been with this with this belief um, and as I sit here today and I've been doing this reflecting and uh, one of the things that my son talked about was how you know like those you know our, our elders who've been in the fight you know when they get older they sell outs right like they don't they don't have that passion anymore they you know they are, they're not fighting the good fight and I was I, so I've been accepting this space of eldership and saying and looking back over I don't know 50 50 some years of, of really being about in my mind about creating spaces for the liberation of of, of African people people of color and as I sit here and look back I'm finding that it feels like nothing has changed it feels like it feels like I've been spinning my wheels and exerting all this energy and the narrative is still <laughs> the same. And you do get this sort of, wow, you know, and I almost don't even want to hand, I used to used to be, you know, uh, Ella Baker, let me hand this over to the youth. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, I don't know if I want to hand this over. I don't want to pass the baton, so to speak, to this. I, I don't want to put this burden on the next generation, and you can help me with this, but this is how I'm feeling. I don't want to put this on the next generation. If 60 years down the road, it's, well, it's not because other things are happening. There's an evolution that's taking place, I like to think, mm -hmm. that it's, it continues to look, it's been a battle, like it's been a battle of of killing black men, lynching, you know, um, we can talk about um Ida B. Wells. Ida B. Wells, yeah. someone. So we can talk about Ida B. Wells and in her protests and her writing and, and her making this awareness of lynching. 
And and then, you know, that was in the 20s and the 30s. Woodrow Wilson, you know, she's trying to get him to pass his legislation, which he wouldn't pass. And so now, so we're still lynching. We're still, that's still happening. It's 2019. And, and it's lynching, but it's a different, but it's lynching. It's still taking the life of black men. That's, we're talking, you know. We were talking, right? Right, public. Yeah. We were talking about um, education and segregated schools, and that schools are more segregated now, as segregated now as they were in the seventies. And so I'm like, you know, unemployment is still right. We still have, you know, a high mortality rate among, among uh, black and brown children. It's what has changed. I can sit in the front of the bus. Mm-hmm. I can eat at the counter. Um, and, and in some cases I can move in neighborhoods but neighborhoods but are can still you? Like, so that's the question really mm. can you and if you do do you get looks mm. and do you get right, treated so the same like, in certain communities right. I'm, I'm still conscious and aware of certain communities that I go into um, just as as late as, as, late as 20, uh, 2004 a uh, young lady who was from house said uh, told me she was in good faith said and I said, I'm going to that outlet in the house. She said, look, just make sure you're out of house by, by, by sundown. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah. And so in Lansing, there was this, this other community that was like sort of like Grand Blake. But, and they had built a Myers. And I was well aware when I went to that Myers, I was one of mm-hmm. a very, 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 very few blacks. Yeah. And, like, and I was being looked at like, how did you find us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's 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 interesting. I, my best friend was in town. He came in for a party we had a couple of weeks ago last week, and um, he he's a runner. And so um, he was he was going. I'm gonna go run, and I kind of live out in the middle of nowhere in Hartland. <laughs> I was like, "Do be careful." I was like, "I'm like gonna go down this road." He's like, "It's a dirt road, isn't it?" I was like, "He's like James Bird. It's like that uncomfortable, like right. you know, it's like humor is a coping mechanism for right. fucked up shit, mm-hmm. right?" And mm-hmm. so, and and I was like, "Okay, I will." I knew how far he was running. I knew where he was going. I was like, I'm going to call you in... F- he's running six miles. I'll call you in 50 minutes. And he's like, it'll take me longer. I was like, I'll call you in 50 minutes. <laughs> I don't hear back from you. I'm going to come look at right. you. Right? Okay. And, and it was like half joke, half real. Right. I literally called him. I set my timer on my phone. I called right. him at 50 minutes. He's like, I'm by your house. I'm like, right. okay, good. And it, but like that's the reality, right? right. And so... Well, what's so crazy about that is when I first moved to Flint, and of course you have all the national headlines that Flint's the most dangerous city in the country, you're going to be shot, you're going to be killed as soon as you step foot in Flint. When I came to Flint, I was first of all amazed at what I saw in this city, like the amazing spaces that exist in the city. But when I went to go look for houses, my mom and I were in the car, we went down to Fenton. Right. We went, you know, we did that ride, looked right. at apartments, looked at all the spaces, and my mama said, get me out of here. When we got to Fenton, this is beautiful, suburban, right. like, you know, oasis. Mm-hmm. Right. And none of us. Right. right. <laughs> none of us. You right. can go in spaces and people will look at you like, oh, right. hey, oh, you're, oh, yeah. you're here in this space. And you have a distinct <laughs> feeling. <laughs> right. Like, who is, you know, like, right. oh, okay. Right. Um, and this distinct feeling that I am absolutely another, that this space was not designed for me. Right. And, you know, eventually I would feel very unwelcome. And so my mom was like, no, you can't live out here. Yeah. You're going to live in Flint. And it was the best decision I ever made because I feel safer in my neighborhood in Flint. I see my people, my neighbors black, people down walking up and down the street are black. I mean, never mind the fact that our neighborhood association website is racist. It's like those um, next door kind of conversations that people have. Black man walking down the street to the corner store. Yeah, he's going to the corner store to get a drink because he lives mm. down the block, right? Mm. So we have to deal with that kind of stuff, right. but still, 
it's a space that the media and that the national narrative, because of this predominantly black city, is just inherently dangerous. Yeah. And it's absolutely not. In, in certain ways, it is. There's there's dangerous pockets, or there's right. things that are happening in our right. city that are not that shouldn't be happening. Right. And we can talk about how whiteness and white supremacy plays into that social reality. But nevertheless, I feel safer here amongst my people. But all the rhetoric of our nation right. tell me that I shouldn't feel safe in a predominantly black poor city. Right. 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 And that's the head kicker for me. Like, I don't know. Like when we think about this issue of how do we do we pass the torch. I mean, the next generation has already picked up the torch and they're already running with it, right? The Black Lives Matter movement, you know, I, I was going to share a story about um, this Afro Future Festival happening in Detroit. I'm following a lot of black farmers, um, people that, you know, you uh, gave a list of statistics mm-hmm. about how few black people are in those leadership positions. Um, these black farmers are talking about how, I think, uh, the FDA and other federal organizations systematically excluded black right. farmers from subsidies and supports right. that they needed. Right. So we actually have very few black farmers today. Right. And so they're trying to do a resurgence movement, how right. we build back capacity in, right. our, in our communities to have then access to right. those kind of things. So I don't even know that we right. have to even think about passing the torch because the millennial generation, they're recognizing that we are not where we should be. You know, I think that's part of our first, like, I'm a zinnia, I'm somewhere in between millennial and generation X, right? Because I'm like, I'm, I'm on that cusp. Um, so I'm seeing my elders telling me, okay, go up and move up in the system. And I'm seeing the young people coming after me saying, the system's fucked. We yeah. will not move up in the system. We're going to create yeah. something new. I so would tell you to move up in the system. Right. So, mm-hmm. But whether we, whether we pass the torch or not, I mm-hmm. feel like the realities of the world we're living in are forcing young people to say, right. we're going to engage in this, right. in this battle. Well, and, and let me say, I do believe that it the AOCs and, and and I just bring her up because she is the most you know public, um, are and you are go are, and the young even the young ones coming in. I, I really my hope is in like these that are like your baby. These that are birthing in now are not. They're just not going to accept the insanity that um, we've normalized. Um, I, I just don't see it happening unless that and, and I think that the edge. My concern about the education is that the education educates that out of them. Right. And and that's why I said we need right. new systems because the old system is about maintaining status quo. And yeah. even when the teachers are not, they're not deliberately maintain. They this the way the the system is structured. They have to. They're not dealing with their own white the white terrorism. They're not, and they're doing it every day. Right. But nobody, but they coming in and we've done this. And you know, it's been my challenge is that we have allowed people who are in these human relations, interact, these human interactions, we've allowed them to think that they're healthy and whole when they go in, a delusion again. Um, and they're bringing in all of this. We've been inculcated, socialized, indoctrinated, it's in the airways, with white terrorism, and we br- including black and brown folks. Right. And we're bringing that into the children. And we're no, we're we're giving them expectations, right? Because that's what we we're modeling. That's what we do. And so the children are adopting that. I was reading somewhere that said that children by by the time they're five years old, they've been so indoctrinated with white terrorism that they already know where they are situated yeah. in this mm-hmm. yeah hierarchy. Okay. Well, and, and you talk about the trouble of schooling, so. You know, that's something that I struggle with personally because I created and dedicated my entire professional life and my existing academic pursuits and the research Mm -hmm. in the education project, right? 
and supporting that. And, and I believed for a long time education was this liberating thing. And then the, to, to come to terms with and realize that you're just reproducing a system, a culture, a structure that reproduces opportunity for some and not all and, and separates purposely and does all these things and, and, and squashes creativity right. when, in fact, we should be encouraging that and cultivating that. You know, I think, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last time, but, you know, I read, read the study, 98% of kids that are under the age of five, I think four to five, right. are creative geniuses, right? right? By mm-hmm. the time they graduate high school, only mm-hmm. 2%, mm-hmm. right? And so what what is it that we're doing in mm-hmm. education that kills that? Definitely. And then when you're talking about the, the, the cultures and um, that exist outside of being white, which is what is generally promoted and, and cultivated and supported and celebrated mm-hmm. in schools. I mean, we mm-hmm. still celebrate Columbus Day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. Schools take that day off still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't question it, and if mm-hmm. they do, they do it poorly, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have all these messages, and, and so even though at age five they're having those messages, but it's so reinforced and re-ingrained, and so mm-hmm. part of what I'd like to see is my, my new work moving forward is how do we deconstruct that, right? Is it possible to do it from within? Um, or is, you ask a really good question, Erica, early on. If you move up far enough, are you just reproducing that? Do you even have a choice yeah. to, to challenge on, uh, an organization? Or are you still um, a part of the machine now that, right. and in such a way that your own survival and, and livelihood is going to be taken out? by your inability to support it. So. I think Obama is a good representative of that, right? He was not permitted to be anything other than the President of the United States, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And so, and that that's not about the good of the people. That's about the good of the, the elite at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think I never wanted to go inside to fix it. I, I know the horse was dead. I knew we just get off the horse and get, and get enough. You know, you need a new horse. It's, you know, you're still trying to get it to go. It's been dead a long time, and we just have been, um, you know, at that movie where they had this guy was dead. And he was and he was taking him around. It was a comedy. He was taking him yeah. around. Was Johnny. the weekend at Bernie's? Oh, we at Bernie's. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think they made three of them. Yeah. <laughs> but you gotta imagine he's gotta smell bad. Right. 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 But that's what's happening, right? right. We're yeah. in the stink of it, We're right? Yeah. And and several things are gonna happen. I and I've already. Uh, prophesied this is that we're in this evolutionary stage right point we're in a nexus where education is going to go more online virtual than it than it is face to face and and teachers are not wanting to we're not wanting to accept that but it is the and it's we're gonna have all kind of <laughs> technological equipment to um to educate people and people are going like youtube people are going to seek their own what their interests are that's that's a shift. Now, maybe it won't happen in the next 10 years. Maybe it won't happen in the next 20 years, but it's going to happen. Um, and so I think that, you know, in terms of going inside and changing it, no, you, you're only a maintained. And that's been my frustration, right? I thought, well, if I can get in these classes where I can, you know, pre-service teacher classes and begin to, you know, help teach teachers who are going in, that they'll change that. But they're, these teachers are coming in so so structured so rigid yes it's unreal yeah you're telling me (laughs) and it's like 
and they're so ingrained in like they're so ingrained in white supremacy that you can't they look like deer in headlights when I'm you know yeah. when I'm trying to tell them something I'm looking are you okay right it's like there's so much information and knowledge that they don't have right. the challenge of, of, of dealing with and I'm gonna use this term now white supremacy is that it's, it doesn't just impact and you know this doesn't just impact people of color but it's that it's that um that syndrome where where imposter syndrome where you are feeling like you gotta be white supremacy mean I gotta be supreme right? right and I ain't and so it's that fear that I'm going to be found out right like and I can see you the the challenge is is that people of color are oftentimes um, intuitive mm-hmm. and so I can see you already and I'm kind enough not to say okay I'm good. And, and and keep moving and and so and you're sitting there wrestling with I know I know a professor that I applied for a position she she received it and she and they told me I couldn't have it because I didn't have a master's degree in in that area right but I was the one she came to for assistance and not only that was it the same this the the same um Re- revisit, restudy, and I don't know why I'm having the loss of words today, but she had to go through, in order to teach certain classes, she had to go and reteach herself, right? Mm-hmm. right. That's what you do anyway. Right. Right? Right. And so I'm looking at that and saying, wow. And so, and so she had to acknowledge that, wow, I'm, I'm really feeling insecure here and I'm prepared, so I've got to really, and I'm like, yeah. And, and that's, but that means that you you are have accepted a position and you're no more qualified to do it than I am, mm-hmm. right? And and I, I don't know. I don't want her to feel guilty because she's in that position. And I think that's the other thing mm-hmm. is that sometimes people feel guilty because they, you know, they're enjoying the benefits right. and they know that it was a rigged system. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know how to make you feel better. Right. right. I don't. I don't. I just, I don't know how to do but it. It's, it's tough because I think in a lot of our spaces we have seen this, right? We've seen like, you know, those of us who've been on hiring committees and have seen outright discrimination and know that that's happened and it's created this whole code of okay this person's more qualified because we just have a feeling right they just they just shoes they're a better fit no shoes or those coded right. words those coded words right. and right. so then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because we will never ever see what that person of color right. looked like in this space and we right. actually never gave that person the color grace to be able to be in that position right so this this thing that you're talking about you right. know we go into work and we have to learn right and we have to grow and we have to stretch that opportunity is not given to people of color because right. they don't have a credential or because they don't seem like they speak the right language, right. literally. <laughs> or they don't, you know, look like, oh, we don't have confidence that they can move into that space. Right. But we have absolute confidence in our white colleagues that they can do it. And so it's just, it's, it's I don't know, it's, is it the implicit bias level or whatever, but it's, there's this level of just how we just operate on the basic level. And these are liberal people making these decisions, right? And we're producing the same. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, I've been a bit, but right. these are the, these are the democratic my democratic colleagues, right? right. Yeah. That believe that they are part of this progressive era, and and then when you when you call them on it, when you say to them, hey, this is this is not right, then you become the, you know the. Why are you so mad? Why right? <laughs> you need to be less angry. But, but you know, but and we're not calling on calling them to make them guilty. It's calling them to be aware that this right. is the pattern that you've created. Can we do something different? You know? uh, again, um, I only know what I've been taught, right? Mm-hmm. I, or, or 
what I see, right? And so I'm thinking of if I'm growing up in a household that is only seeing the world from this glossed over perspective, then I'm and and I'm never encountered it any other way. Then you know, Mama talked this way and Daddy talked this way, and so I'm speaking the language that I learned. And then you know, all of a sudden to find out that, oh shoot, that's not, oh that that means you know that means something more than what right? right? And so this there's an awakening, mm-hmm. and that takes first of all that's dissonance, right? That that takes a moment, like this is not right. It's like you know, haven't been. I ain't gonna say that. I was, <laughs> I was gonna say you know, having this was for me, having been you know. Um, Christian and then begin to challenge, you know, the the origins of the Bible, right? right? And and you know, and look at how the Bible was used against, you know, enslaved Africans. And then I had to like step back and say, Whoa, whoa, you know, like now I've gotta I've gotta re examine this. I gotta interrogate this. I gotta see is this really for me? And so if I've been taught to to operate from this space of of white terrorism that's like being raised a Nazi, right? In a Nazi household. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I was looking at a YouTube video. A, a young guy was raised in a Nazi household. He had tattoos all over the place. And um, he, he met a young lady who helped him to awaken. And then he wound up in a, and he didn't have the money when he get some of the tattoos taken off. And um, somebody donated funds so he could get. But, but he became an advocate for, you know, um, justice, social justice. Mm-hmm. But it, it it took him in. He his daddy, and doctor. He went to to the meetings and every. That was his right. food. And here's the other part, though, right? Those systems are also have something have a mechanism built in so that when you start becoming awakened, they the alarm bells go off. Right. and The system starts working to right. stop the awakening. Right. So leaving Christianity, I remember when I left Christianity. I remember all the docu- the, the scriptures talking about how. Right. Oh well, you know, yeah. be careful of those people that right. are taking because they get right. You, right. They yeah. we right. have this rhetoric for white supremacy yeah. when the awakening happens and the fragility, fragility starts to kick up and they they start lashing out. Right. For me, my response is how do my colleagues reinforce white supremacy through their response? Right. And in those cases, it's right. Erica. Why are you making them so right. angry? Black and white. Right. Well, black and white. Why are you causing mm-hmm. so much discord? Oh, yeah. Why are you? Yeah. Why right. are you not speaking out right. of love? Right. What would MLK do? Oh. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, the invocation of MLK. Right. All these ways that white okay. supremacy will cause those of us who are causing or encouraging the awakening, right. right? We are now seen as enemies. Right. We're now seen as disruptors. We're seen as people who right. are not productive because we're causing this um, discomfort. The, the matrix. Right. Well, Nola Cabrera, he's a faculty at University of Arizona, refers to it. He has this concept. He, he kind of flips white privilege into white immunity. Mm. And one of the things that he talks about is this um, thinking about whiteness as an addiction. And I really like that because when you think about the concept of it, there, I mean, there's some problems with it when you kind of start playing it out into, like, the individualization of it versus the societal. But, like, when you think about it from an individual perspective as an addict and I go into recovery, mm-hmm. I'm in a space of recovery, and as soon as that recovery gets removed or that opportunity right. to be reintroduced back into what I knew right. was comfortable, right. I take that and snatch it, yeah. right? And so that addictive property right. of mm-hmm. supporting and upholding right. and doing these things with whiteness happens, and that's exactly right. what you're both referring to. And, mm-hmm. and white folks, that, that addictive property of comfort mm-hmm. that exists within whiteness right. is... Right. 
easy for us to uphold, and, and, and it, it, it's we, we think about that as part of the way we do it, even though we don't want to exist in that space, right? Because most of the time, as an addict, you part of being an addict is right. denial, right? Right. So I think I think that that that's a really interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did have a question. I don't know if it's something that was is. I think it's relevant in thinking about because we. I think actually we where I talked about how whiteness has um, impacted our life. What would your world look like if whiteness and white supremacy did not exist, and how do we get there? That's a lot. I know. That, that's so good. That's, that's a, a good whole, way to. Uh, the podcast, yeah, I like that. Next time, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now you made me smile I, because I I have this world that's been in my head for so long. Um, of of you know when we don't when these issues are not the issues that we are talking about, and I I long for that. Um, it's just a world where I, I see joy and laughter. Not that we won't have you know challenges, but that people will know how to work together in love. And it's not, and people will be fair and just, and people eat, right? People have food, and people have medical care, and people would just love. Um, and if, if I have and you need, you, it's, there's no problem. It's, it's just a world where we recognize that we all are one. Sounds like community. Yeah, I right? would, yeah. Family, community. I would, that's community, but not one that's just bound by uh, blood or culture or, or sameness, but, and yet sameness, and, and the fundamental sameness of that we're all consciousness, we're all, you know, uh, God in flesh. Hmm. Thanks for joining us today. This was a great conversation. You're awesome. Yay. Thank you for having me here today. And that is a wrap for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Erica and I had a great time meeting with our guest today, Dr. Joyce Peart. If you're interested in following us on Twitter, you can find us at Disrupt Whiteness. There's one S on the end of whiteness. That's Disrupt Whiteness. Or you can send us an email at whitenessinamerica at gmail.com. If you're interested in being on the show, you have ideas for topics, you have questions for us, or you want to plug something like a book, an article, Um, an event that you've got going on, go ahead and email us at whitenessinamerica at gmail.com. Please feel free to check out our previous episodes at iTunes, Spotify, or uh, on Google Play. Or you can just visit us on our website at whitenessinamerica.com. Again, special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Joyce Peart. Dr. P, thank you so much for coming. It's always an honor and privilege to talk with you. Uh, I always learn so much, so forever grateful. Well, until next time, thanks so much, everybody.